Living a life that is loving, that is characterized, defined by the way of love as we see it in Jesus of Nazareth, is not easy. It can be done, but it's important to remember that this way of love is not a sentiment. It is a commitment. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Welcome to the show. We're talking today all about love with our wonderful guest, Bishop Michael Curry. What do you think of when you think of love? If we're not careful, we can shortchange ourselves if we limit our idea of love to what we see portrayed in the media. Bishop Curry reminds us that there is a stronger, greater, more powerful love, the love that made us and the love that we are made for. Bishop Curry is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, and he travels all around the country, as he puts it, quote, proclaiming and sharing the story of Jesus of Nazareth and his good news for us. We talk about leading with love. Bishop Curry shares about his childhood and how love held him and his family as they walked through a terrible tragedy. He talks about the beautiful community that embraced them and sustained them and loved them. And he encourages us to follow Jesus' lead by living in love and showing love for others. Bishop Curry believes, and I'll quote, Love has the power to bind us together as a human community, as a human family. It has the power to bind us together as societies through all of our differences, when unselfish, sacrificial love that seeks the good and the well-being of others is the way then everybody finds their way. Martin Luther King Jr. said this about love. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. I'm so excited for you to hear this spectacular message of God's love from Bishop Michael Curry. When you think about love, it's easy to get diverted and think about the easiest forms of love, which is to say something you see in a movie. And while those can be forms of love and while Valentine's Day cards and flowers are a way of expressing love and reflect it, love biblically in terms of the love of God, is actually bigger than that. Any form or shape of human love is a reflection of God's love. You know, the Bible says, you know, in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and those who love are born of God and know God. Those who do not love do not know God. Why? Because God is love. So that God is the source of all love whether it's romantic love between a couple or whether it's love for the human family, love for the creation, and ultimately love for God. I really do believe that 
if the Bible is right, as I believe it is, that God is love, then that means this world and every one of us have been created by the hand of God, by the hand of love. We were made by love, if you will. We were made for love. We were made to love and we were made to be loved. And we as human beings individually, as a society and in all of our various collections, we are at our best when we live in love. There's a reason that it feels horrible when somebody doesn't love you and you know it. There's a reason for that. And there's a reason that it actually feels good when you know you're loved and cared for. And again, this love, you know, our English language is fairly narrow. We don't have good gender English, but other languages do where you have male, female, neutral words, and you have different nuances on the same word. English is not that complex. And so in Greek, you have a number of words for love. And in the Bible, certainly in the Greek Septuagint for the Hebrew scriptures and in the Greek New Testament, there are three that are used frequently, eros, philia, and agape. There are a couple of other ones as well, but those are the three mostly used. Eros is clearly romantic love. And if you look at the Greek version, if you will, of the Song of Songs, which is love poetry between a bride and groom, the word eros pops up a lot there. But if you look in the New Testament, for the most part, filial, which is fraternal or brotherly love, if you will, we get Philadelphia from that. The word philia is used quite a bit, but also the word agape. And agape is unselfish love. That's John 3.16. God so loved the world, not that he took what he could get out of it. He gave. That's agape. Jesus goes to the cross for agape, not for himself but for the good and the well-being and the welfare of others. That kind of love has the power to bind us together as human community, as a human family. It has the power to bind us together as societies through all of our differences when unselfish, sacrificial love that seeks the good and the well-being of others is the way Then everybody finds their way. I'm guessing I was nine years old or so when my mother had a massive cerebral hemorrhage and eventually ended up in a coma and eventually died. And that whole period of time was maybe two years, most of it with her in a coma. And at the time, I wasn't aware of it. But when she took sick and was in the coma, when I look back on it now, I realize my sister and I were surrounded and my dad, we were surrounded by a community of love, mostly from our church, but also from our family that really did support and carry us. Mommy got sick in Yonkers, New York, and we were living in Buffalo, New York. And while she was in the hospital, which was for about six months, daddy had to go. He would, you know, be in church on Sunday, preach and do what he had to do, you know, over the weekend. Then he would drive eight hours to New York City where she was in Mount Sinai Hospital. And when he drove to New York, to be there with her and my grandmother. We were in Buffalo because we had to go to school. Well, it was a, a dear woman, Miss Emma Bullock, who took care of us while he had to be in New York. 
we were surrounded by people who cared for us. They didn't get paid for it. They didn't get any dividends. They didn't get any stock options. You know what I mean? They didn't have to do that, but they knew these two children needed somebody to be with them. And I have to tell you that looking back on it now at age 68, I think I was about 10 when she actually died. Looking back on it, I realized that having lost our mother, having her die like that, which for a child is, is traumatic, the community that surrounded and embraced us provided a kind of cushion that helped us navigate through what was for a child walking through hell. So having walked through that, I realized we walked through that as a family and were able to deal with all the pain and the sorrow and all the, you know, you got to go through all that stuff and the grief. We were able to do that because people loved us. Love helped us. You know, that old hymn said, love lifted me, love lifted me when nothing else would help. Love lifted me. I've known that in my own life and I believe that it's true for all of us. I believe that love can lift us all up. Some years ago, I met a man. I was visiting a church. It was after the supper. It was a church supper and I spoke at the banquet. But I uh, was in line and people were, you know, everyone was taking selfies and we were talking and and I noticed this one guy, I mean, he was a big guy, a white guy, and I'm a black guy. So when he finally got to me, he introduced himself and we shook hands. And he said, I just wanted to come up and, and thank you and thank God for you. And I said, well, well thank you. Um, and I must have had a look on my face. He explained, he said, because I thank God that you are my brother. He said that he had grown up in a home where his father and uncle or grandfather were members of the clan. And he said he had grown up supposedly in a Christian home, but it was a Christian home where segregation was God's will, where white supremacy um, was God's will, where the separation of the races was God's. He, he, said, he said the Christianity that he was taught growing up was perverted and distorted by bigotry and racism and on and on and on. And he said that he went off to school went to college and was in a town somewhere, I believe in Arkansas, I don't remember where, but somewhere in Arkansas. And he was beginning to question his upbringing, but didn't have any clarity about that, was beginning to question it and beginning to question the Christianity that he had inherited or the, the form of Christianity that he inherited. Went to a little church. He said there was this little bitty church and he went inside and he said the people in that church embraced and welcomed him. And he said, those people showed me what Christianity is. They actually showed me the love of Jesus Christ. They took me in and loved me even after they knew who I was and how I had grown up. And I know it doesn't happen that way for everybody. I, I know that. But I also know that living the way of Jesus, his way of love, that it really is the way of life. And it can be hard. I mean, sometimes it can be hard. And I'm not pretending, which is why we need Christian community. <laughs> we need to be in community of support, accountability, of worship, of prayer, of study. I mean, we need that support. I have found myself more recently in my ministry than I did early on saying to folk, you know what? I know you got issues with the church. You know what? I do too. And I'm a bishop. So <laughs> you're not alone. But 
the church isn't going to save your soul. The church isn't going to show us the way to a better human society or the way to heaven. But Jesus will. Martin Luther in the 16th century said, it's important to remember that the Bible is like the manger that held the baby Jesus. That you come to worship the baby Jesus, not the manger. And so listen for that voice through the words. Listen for the word through the word. And and when that happens, that Jesus comes alive. So let's talk about him. Let's put the church aside for a minute. So let's go to the book. Let's read a gospel. Just listen. Just, just read and just listen. What kind of person is this? Are the teachings that he articulates, the way that he interacts with people, is that a way? And are those teachings? And therefore, is he someone that I'm willing to follow and maybe even commit my life to? That's the question. Not whether the church is good, bad, or indifferent. (laughs) And I, I just believe Jesus is compelling. And yet he's challenging. There's this Jesus was a human being among them. I mean, he was human. He bled like the rest of them. He bled on the cross. He hurt. You cut him, he hurt. But there was something about this Jesus that drew them closer to God, which is why they eventually realized, oh my gosh, this is the Son of God. They started out listening to Jesus, the teacher. And as the story went on, and as their experience of him went on, They came to see Jesus, the teacher, in his way of love as their way of life. And they called him not only teacher, they called him savior. Well, allow me to read a passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed into Adam and Eve. And when they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I have ever made. God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars, in the streams and the wind in the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Love makes room and space for the other to be. St. Paul said love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not insist on its own ray. Love is not jealous. It is not rude. It is not boastful. It rejoices in the right. Love makes room 
and space for the other to be. And when we live in that love by its laws and its rhythms and its ways, we are living in harmony with the Creator, with God. And that's the most durable force in all of creation because it's the source of all creation. And the truth is, wherever and whenever love has been lived, life has been better. Wherever and whenever human beings have lived not simply for self, but for others, that's love. When somebody helps somebody across the street, that's love. When somebody does something that helps not just self, that's love. When people do good to care for the world and care for others, that's love. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at SallyLloyd-Jones.com and follow her on Instagram at Sally Lloyd Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love.